Good morning, Resonate Church. Uh, you guys are so great. So glad to see you. Hey, we want to welcome all of our campuses out in Oakland, Hayward, and online. We're so glad that you're joining with us. Hey, I want to begin by just celebrating several things. We're a church that celebrates well, and by celebrating, we're giving glory to God who is deserving of all praise. Amen? Amen. And so we're celebrating, first of all, how we ended 2023 first in generosity. In the last eight weeks, the Lord has unleashed the kind of generosity through you where we broke all kinds of giving records for God's glory. So let's, man, thank you for that. And secondly, we broke all attendance records in Resonate history during Christmas that weekend. So that's been incredible. And can we celebrate together the most meaningful thing of all uh, during Christmas weekend, not only do we have the most people here on campus and all of our campuses, but 87 people received Christ and surrendered their life to Jesus, which is incredible. But today, as we look back to 2023 and the favor that God has given us, we want to look to the future of 2024. And I Pray a blessing over you. Pray that God will bless you and anoint you and encourage you, shine his face upon you in 2024. And already we're celebrating first week, first week, something God's doing massive in the midst of us. We are celebrating the very first launch, our new campus, our newest campus in Oakland, California, Resonate Church. Hey, we love you. No, 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 no. Where is it? Let's go. Look at this. Look at this. Look at everybody here. Can you see this? Yes. That's for you, Oakland. Ah, let's go. All right, all right, all right. Okay, okay. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, have a seat. This is incredible. This is incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's for you, Oakland. Man, we love you. Okay. All right. We're excited for you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. Uh, that, that was awkward and beautiful at the same time. My word, we are celebrating you, Oakland. You are not alone. We are behind you. And as much as you want to be a missional force in Oakland, we're praying for you. We're cheering for you and that God would do a mighty work through the beloved city of Oakland as he's doing in Hayward and online. So God bless you. Can't wait to see all the things that the Lord will do through our one big family. Hey, that was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing, amazing, beyond amazing. And um, I want to kick off the new year with a new series called Heal Our Land. It's based out of a very famous verse in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from them from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And so what we're going to do in the next few weeks, we're going to take portions of this, and we're going to dive deeper into the meaning of this so that for two reasons. Number one, we want you to experience a personal revival. 
a personal revival where you will find a new sense of hope, a new surge of strength, a new surge of excitement and a deeper affection for Jesus, that there will be a personal revival in you, that there are times when you're dormant, there are times maybe you finish the year rather lackluster, a little lacking faith, and we want to encourage you. We want you to start off strong. But the second thing is we want you to experience a corporate revival in the sense that a small spark will come together and ignite a huge fire that will consume for God's glory, both not only in your home, not only in your street, but your city and our state, our area, and the world. That's our hope. And so we'll look at more of this verse next week. But today we're going to start by asking a very big question because this verse says, if my people, that's how it starts, if my people, it's not talking to individuals, it's talking about corporately us, if my people. And as we address the people of God, my question to you is a big one, which is, why do you exist? Why did God create you? Why are you here? Why do you have breath? And this is an essential question to answer because without you and I living our design purpose, we cannot experience the kind of revival. We cannot experience God's best that he has for us lest we operate out of his design. So what is his design? What is his plan for us? And to discover that, we're going to turn to Psalm 67. If you have your Bibles, would you turn there? Psalm 67. And we're going to look at the very first two verses. And I know we stood here in all of our campuses, but would you stand once again for the reading of God's word? And we're going to read a verse that changed my life. And I pray that he would change yours. And we'll once again pray that the Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than the one that you're about to hear from me today. This is the word of the Lord. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. That is the word of the Lord for this great morning. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. These two verses basically summarizes to all of us the whole reason why you and I exist. And this is so tied to revival once again, because to experience the kind of revival is, is to experience the very nature and the very reason why you and I have breath today. And I don't speak this just out of theory, but personal experience. I speak from personal experience because the first time that somebody shared these two truths with me, it blew my mind. It blew my mind and revolutionized my faith in a way that I was never the same. I was never, ever the same. And my hope is that you also mutually would be encouraged in the same way. Let me share with you twofold reasons of why you exist today, why you are here. First, if you're taking notes, you exist to enjoy God's grace. You exist to enjoy God's grace. Verse 1, it says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Now stop there and you notice that in the Bible right after that, it says the word selah. Selah is actually a musical term that, uh, that signifies a pause. It's to say that as we read on, we should probably pause and to reflect a little bit and to think a little bit. Like, let's not move on too quickly. Let's marinate on this. And so think about this. May God, the prayer is, uh, the creator of the universe, 
who spoke the word into being, the world, the universe into being, and he formed it by his hand, and he formed you and me. And the reason why you and I have a heartbeat right now, the reason why our lungs are expanding and collapsing and it's going on, the reason why we have breath in our lungs, the reason why God has put the entire world in the palm of his hands, the omnipotent one, the omniscient one, the omnipresent one, this God who will one day be the judge of all people and that one day you and I will stand before him in judgment. And in that day, he will fairly and righteously judge in his holiness. That God we're crying out, would you please give us this unmerited mercy? Will you show us your grace? And then it goes on to say, may God make his face shine upon us. May his face shine upon us. May his radiant light shine upon us. May he show his God smile to us all the days of our lives. And what a prayer that is. I mean, you think about that, that God would show himself to us to reach down to us because he desires a relationship with you and me. And you realize this is totally different from any other religion known to man. In fact, every other religion in the world is all about how you are to show the light, that you are to reach to God, you are to climb up to him through obedience and through affection, through love, through devotion. A few years ago, I had this illustration of a big ladder up on the stage to illustrate that all the world religion is quite different than Christianity. And this is how all the religion says, if you want to get to God, you have to climb up the ladder. And you climb up the ladder to God. He's on the top of the ladder. We're all down here, unworthy of his presence and love and affection. And in order to climb up, we have to obey. Sometimes you have to go, you know, to on the pilgrimage. Sometimes you have to go to, you know, Mecca, or you have to go and pray uh, five times a day. Maybe you have to uh, pursue the noble paths. But what they all have in common, which is all the other world religion, is to say you have to obey, you have to work, you have to make yourself uh, pleasing to God in a way where only God then determines whether he's going to save you or not based on your obedience, based on your affection, based on your faithfulness. But what if there was a God who actually didn't wait for you to come up, but he actually came down? What if there's a God that shined his face upon us? What if there was a God that made his presence known to us to love us, to save us. And the good news of the gospel is that God, he came to us. We didn't go to God. He came to find us and to adopt us as through his son Jesus to live a perfect life that he went to the cross and he was treated as if he had lived our lives so that we could be treated as if he had lived, he, we have lived his life. And beyond that, the news actually gets better because three days later, it says he rose from the grave testifying the victory over sin and death that anyone who turns from their sin and trusts in his grace will experience eternal life forever and evermore. Amen. And that's an incredible gift. And he came to pursue us, to shine upon us, to meet us. Now, just think about this. Selah, okay, think about this. Um, 
a few years ago, my wife and I went to a, a, a really posh sushi restaurant in San Francisco uh, with a, a couple from Resonate, and we're enjoying our meal, and lo and behold, right next to me is sitting a guy that I recognize. It was the CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz. He had just flown down to eat at the restaurant, and he was going to fly home right after. And I was like, oh my gosh. That's Howard Schultz. I read his book. And I was thinking this the whole time. And then at the end of the meal, he leans over and talks to me and says, hey, by the way, do you know any good ice cream shops around here? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have the PhD on food. I know everything about food. Yes, so, so I do. So I, I gave him some recommendations. And then so he said, thank you. And then that night as I was sleeping, I was thinking, my goodness, I talked to Howard Schultz. Well, this morning... The very first morning, very first conversation I had, guess who I got to talk to today? The CEO of the universe. <laughs> the CEO of the universe, God himself. I woke up and I just said, Lord, in my crackling voice, and said, I love you. Thank you for making yourself real to me. I can't believe you're listening to me. And he listened to me. And he heard my cry. And he heard my affections. He relieved my burdens. And he was speaking to me. He was shining his face on me. He let me know that nothing could separate me. No sin, no apathy, nothing could separate me, separate me from his love and affection towards me. And he told me this this morning. Can you believe that God would shine his face upon you today and forevermore? And if you haven't had that time this morning with him, you're missing out. You are missing out. You and I are made to enjoy this God. You're made far more than just coming to church or fulfilling some religious duties. You're made to wake up and receive this mercy from God every single day of your life. And you know, um, I just want to give you a glimpse of God's favor to me though it is so incredibly undeserving. And if you were to do the same exercise with your life, you will recount many, many, many hundreds of times of how God is shining his face on you just to remind you to enjoy his grace. Um, and this is one of my like, top five stories that I keep going back to in my life that reminds me of the grace of God. Because when Jenny and I got first married, we wanted to have kids immediately, and we realized that we were struggling with um, infertility and something that we didn't expect. And, and I suppose as we talk about this infertility in all of our campuses in Oakland and Hayward and online and the families here, I mean, this is not new to you. And I'm sure that some of you, maybe a few of you could relate. Um, and those were some of the darkest days of our lives. Well, enter into my life this unbeliever named Donald Brenneman. Donald was an unbeliever who was seeking healing, a miraculous healing from the terminal cancer he had. He was a young doctor with a young family, with a young wife, and he came to church seeking healing. And I told him, hey, I have no guarantee that you'll be healed. I could pray for your healing, but I could guarantee you, you could be healed in your soul from your sins. And from there, he got saved and he got baptized at our church. And there soon, he, he, he started getting worse and worse and his body was failing. He went into hospice and lots of drugs and lots of seizures and and I would stay up late nights with him because I, I would sometimes stay up and writing my sermons and just to give his wife a break. And, and one of the nights, as he was having a bad day, he literally woke up in the middle of the night 
And he had this peace, and he just said, Ryan, could I ask you a question? And he said, why, why did God not give you children? And I said, wow, I, I, I don't know why he hasn't given me any children. And he said, well, in a few days, I'm going to see God. And that'll be the first question I'll ask him. Well, a few days later, um, he had his worst episode. Machines were beeping, his body was shaking, and I was just with his wife, and we said, hey, no families could visit at this point because it was so bad, and my phone kept on ringing, and look, there was my wife, Jenny, I kept on hanging up, hanging up, hanging up, and she kept on calling, so finally, out of frustration, I got the phone, I'm like, what, woman, what do you need? You know Donald's sick right now, and she's like, I gotta come over. I'm like, no, you ain't, bad English, and I just like hung up, and she's like, she's like she kept on calling me, and I go, you can't come over. She's like, I'm coming in 15 minutes. I'm like, no, you're not. She hung up on me. And so 15 minutes later, she shows up in the front of the door, ringing the doorbell. I finally get the door. I'm like, what are you doing? I was just going to give it to her. And she had been crying the whole day. Her face was a mess. I'm like, are you okay? What's happened to you? Who's done this to you? And then she hands me a brown paper bag. And I opened the brown paper bag, and there was a pregnancy test. And it was positive. And with that, as we celebrated, I went to Donald. And I showed him the pregnancy test, and I told him, hey, you don't have to ask God anymore. He answered already. And he said, praise be to God. And just the next day, he passed away. I'm not deserving of that miracle, but it came to me. And since then, I've been recounting many miracles in my life, and I share all that to say I don't know what you're walking through in this life. And I don't know what you're feeling this morning. But I want to tell you, God is faithful. God is faithful, and he's made us to enjoy his grace every single morning. Amen? Amen. 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 And he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you right now. No matter what the world brings, he's going to walk with you. And he's called us to enjoy his grace. So don't miss out. But that's not where the verse stops. Look at verse 1. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And what's right after that? There's a comma. It's not a period. It's a comma. It's to say, yes, we are to enjoy God's grace, but there's more. Because look at what the next word is. Ready? That. That. He gives us this grace in order that, and the question is, what is the purpose? Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among the nations. So first, we exist to enjoy God's grace. Then second, we enjoy God's grace to spread God's glory to all the nations. You exist to spread God's glory to all the nations. Those are together. He blesses us. He shines his face upon us. He, he's, he gracious, he's gracious to us so that your may will be known, God, and that your power, your saving power among all nations. So here's the key point I want you to get. If there's anything I want you to get in this sermon, I want you to get this. Ready? God's grace is not intended to stop with you, but God's grace is intended to spread through you. I'll say that again. God's grace is not intended to stop with you. It's not just for you, but God's grace is intended to spread through you. 
not just you and your family, but all the nations of the world. Now, this verse isn't just a one-off, isolated passage, but it's all throughout Scripture. And in fact, I would argue this is one of the meta-narrative of Scripture, that it covers the whole Scripture. It's the story, arc storyline of the entire Scripture, um, starting from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Let me take you on a real quick journey. Genesis 1, God creates us in his image for relationship with him. And then he says, I want you to multiply that glory. Doesn't he say that? He says, I want you to multiply my glory so that my grace will be known to everyone on earth. And in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham the father of Israel. And he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And I'm going to actually make you uh, the starter, the leader of all the families on earth and all the other families will be blessed. Then Genesis 26, 4, he says, he says that to Isaac, that's Abraham's son. And then Genesis 28, uh, he, in verse 14, God says the exact same thing to Isaac's son, Jacob. He goes on to say, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars, and I'm going to anoint you so that the grace that you experience will be known to all the earth. And you realize this is the impetus of all the stories in the Old Testament. For instance, in Exodus 14, why did God split the Red Sea to allow the Israelites to go through and close the Red Sea on the Egyptians? Well, if you read on, you'll find out God says, so that the nation of Egypt will know the grace that I have to my people. You see, he wants all the nations to know his grace that he gives to his people. In Joshua 5, you know, Joshua is on the outskirts of Jericho. He's about to enter into his first city of the promised land. And he has five military options available to him to penetrate the fortified city that, with walls. One, he could go over it. Second, he could go under it. Third, he could go through it. Fourth, he could go inside it like a Trojan horse situation and attack from inside. Or wait it out and starve them out so that they would actually come out of the walls. So here's at the end of Joshua 5, he's waiting for the battle plans of the Lord. He's waiting and praying. And all of a sudden, God speaks. He's like, well, do you want me to go through? You want me to go around, over, under? What do you want us to do, God? And God says, assemble your men, but not the mighty men, but the musical ones. And he's like, what? The musical ones? He's like, have them play some songs and serenade them, <laughs> and the walls will come down. And Joshua's like, God, is this the very first April Fool's known to man? What is going on? This makes zero sense at all. Why would God design this weird battle plan to take the major city in the promised land? And you know the answer. God is doing this throughout Scripture, that he is sovereignly displaying his grace in a way that only God could be glorified. Only God could be glorified. And so they assemble the musicians, and they play the trumpets, and the walls come down, and the city is completely destroyed. And you know, you read in Joshua 6, this is, what, this is not what you read. Joshua coming to Bill, the trumpet player. Yo, Bill, by the way, Man, that note that you played against the wall, that was pitch perfect. That was amazing, dude. Kenny G couldn't do any better. I mean, you were amazing, dude. Way to go. Way to knock down the wall. Said no one. That's not how Joshua 6 actually ends. You know how Joshua 6 goes? It says he was sovereignly displaying his work, and only God could have done this. Everybody was shouting. Everybody was on their faces worshiping God and ends by saying God's fame was in all the land. God's fame was in all the land. 
Every story in the Bible is this. Daniel 3, you have this guy, these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who goes into a fiery furnace and, and he allows them to not burn. They don't even smell like smoke as they come out. Why? Right after that, if you read on, then you'll get the story. Because King Nebuchadnezzar says, man, whoever this God is that saved you, that sustained you in the fire is the God of all nations. You see, all nations, the grace given to them is to be spread to all nations. Well, Daniel 6, same thing. Why does God show grace in protecting Daniel in the lion's den? Right after he realizes the king, King Darius realizes that Daniel is not hurt, he writes a decree. Note this. He writes a decree to all the nations in different languages, it says, so that the God of this man Daniel should be worshipped and is worthy of all affection, all worship in around the world. That's what it says. And this whole reason, this is the whole reason why when you run into the book of Psalms, 150 poems, 150 poems, a collection of poems about his glory. Think about this. And I told you recently that my wedding anniversary is coming up and it's coming up next month. And you know, let me just tell you what I'm not going to do for my wedding anniversary. If I were to go to Jenny, I'm like, hey, babe, I give you a gift. It's a great gift. I wrote 150 poems about myself. <laughs> and man, you're, you exist for this. And, and this is why I want to bestow this grace to you. And feel free to sing about this, put music to it, and sing of me. And that will be uh, a fulfilling in your life. And that will be the grace in your life. You will enjoy grace. I'm not going to do that. Why am I not going to do that? Well, first, I want to stay married. <laughs> and, and secondly, no, I'm not going to exalt myself. I'm not going to do that. But the very reason why God has given us this book is because he's worthy of that glory. He's worthy of that praise that his glory may be spread through all the nations. And that's why when we get to the New Testament in Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, go preach the good news to all the creation. And that's why Matthew 28 ends by saying, go make disciples of what? All nations. In Acts 1a, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you, Jesus says, so that you'll be witnesses of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the world. And Paul in Romans 15 verse 20, he says, keep pressing on, not where Christ has already been named, but penetrate the areas where he has not been named as to receive the glory among all the nations. And lastly, Revelation 7 it's that there was a great multitude, so much so this vision of how the world ends that, the, that he couldn't count from every single tribe, every single tongue, every single nation has assembled the throne of God. They were singing this song saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever and ever. Amen. This is how the world's going to end, that you and I will be sitting around the throne room of God, worshiping him, singing to him, thanking him for the grace of this great salvation. This is why you and I exist. And maybe you're here today, some of you might be saying, wait a minute, are you saying that God has an ulterior motive of blessing me to ultimately exalt himself? 
That seems rather self-centered of God. And I just want to be clear, that's not what I'm saying. That's exactly what God is saying. That's what God is saying. And if that rubs you the wrong way, that God exists to exalt himself, I just have a simple follow-up question for you. Who else would you rather him exalt? You? Me? Mother Nature? Because if he were to exalt any of those things, then he would cease to be God because the definition of God is that he receives all the glory. He is deserving of all exaltation. And the moment that he exalts something else is the moment that he ceases to be God. And so he deserves all the glory, all the praise. So let me just put it together like this. Just picture this for a moment. If God loves perfectly, and he is the embodiment of love, and he loves infinitely, then the question is, what is the greatest gift that he could give you and me? Himself. Himself. For us to enjoy him is the grace. And think about it. How has God chosen to glorify himself? Well, he chose to glorify himself by sending him his son as a substitute sacrifice for our sins so that we would draw close in relationship with him so that you and I could enjoy him forever. Do you see his grace and his glory? They go together. They go together. Now, some Christians realize that, say, okay, I'm made to enjoy God's grace. I'm, enjoyed to, I'm made to spread God's glory. Great, great message, pastor. But you know what? We have to stop right there because the very next thing is something that I see American Christians in particular, we fail to do very often. Go back to the verse again, verses one and two. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And here it goes, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Do you know that roughly there are 8 billion people on the planet and about 6 billion people do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And every single one of them are like people like you and me. You know, they're mothers and fathers and children and students and uncles and aunties and hardworking people. And, and, and if nothing changes, they will die without hearing the gospel, and as a result, they'll be damned to hell. And I know there are a ton of tra tragedies right now that we all should grieve. You know, the war in Gaza is a terrible war, and it's a tragic war where senseless Palestinians' lives are being taken away, Jewish lives are taken away, and we see natural disasters happen like this past week where in Japan there was an earthquake, 7.8 or something like that of such magnitude and hundreds of people are dying and hundreds of people are yet found. And these are horrific tragedies. And yes, Christians, we need to grieve that. And yet, and yet, the thing that the Christians should grieve more than any other grief is we have to wonder, did they know Jesus Christ? Did they know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Because one thing to end their life it's another thing to spend eternity in the darkest, tormented place called hell. And yet, here in America, it just seems like we don't care much. Why is that? Well, I'm convinced it's not because we are lacking heart, but I, I'm convinced it's because most Christians don't think 
It's their job to care, and it's the job of a missionary to do it. But the problem is when we think that way, we are actually violating our ontology, which means we are violating the nature as to why we are even existing in the first place. Don't you know that we are actually existing now to enjoy God's glory, but also to spread his grace, to spread his grace. They go together. So think about a bicycle. You see, the bicycle is designed this way. One of the pedals, when you push down, it makes you go about 10 feet, okay? And that's like enjoying God's grace. We need to enjoy grace. We're made to enjoy God's grace. And yet, if you want the bicycle to even go further, you need to press the other pedal down. You can't keep pressing one side down and enjoy grace, enjoy grace, enjoy grace, and go. You have to press the other side of the bicycle down, the pedal down, then, which is to spread his glory, and so then you go, and then as to the degree that you enjoy grace, spread his glory, enjoy grace, spread his glory, then you experience the kind of sanctification, movement, heart, growth, liveliness, win to your face, purpose of why a bicycle exists, and the same purpose as to why you exist. You exist to glorify God and to enjoy his grace. Now, some of you might say, well, that, that makes a lot of sense, Ryan. You know, it, it makes sense in my mind. I see it biblically. The trouble that I have is I just don't have it in my heart. I don't feel it. And to you, I just want to put it this way. Do you think that the Holy Spirit wants all the nations to know Jesus? Yes. Do you think that same Holy Spirit lives inside of you? It does. And what that means is you don't need an outside agency or an outside inspiration into you because the very thing that lives in you is ready to be awakened from you so that you might have a heart, that you might have a longing, that you might have a calling and a purpose to, to spread the gospel to spread his glory, it is already in you. It's already built in you. And so our prayer is that, Lord, will you awaken something that is already in me? That through repentance, and if we were to say, if my people were called by my name, humble ourselves and to pray and to seek his face and turn from our wickedness and wicked ways, then we will know, we will know from heaven he will forgive our sin and he will heal us and our land. I'll close this way. You know, this week I saw a video of a mission calling opening. Do you know what that is, mission calling opening? A lot of Christians don't know that. It's a Mormon thing. It's where, um, you know, kids, 18 years old, 17 years old, you know, they get in front of family and friends and they actually open the letters that is written by the, their church leaders and basically they tell them where, where they're going to serve for the next two years on mission. And so it's a thing where they get their iPhones out and they record it and they're reading this long treaty, this long letter of this glorious affirmation given to a young person who's about to go on mission, who's about to find out where they're going. Their uncles and aunties and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, everybody's all gathered around looking, yearning for, like, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? It's a big festive place. And she's reading up front. I saw this one video and she's like nervous and she's reading down. She's getting nervous and nervous. She's just about to find out where she's going to be sent. 
and as her voice is shaking a little bit and she's getting a little quieter, she finally gets to the place where she says, and you will serve next two years in the country of Argentina. And the whole room just erupts in praise and glory and everybody's shouting and encouraging her and hugging her. And you see this, they're celebrating what? They're celebrating that a young person, their mother, their, their child, their friend, their niece, she's going to be on mission for the glory of a God that doesn't exist. And what they're willing to do for a lie, it puzzles me of how little we are willing to do for the truth. That she's going to go on this mission and spread a false gospel that will condemn the world. And here, the rest of the Christians, and how are we celebrating our young ones that are going out on mission? Are we applauding them? Are we celebrating them? Are we encouraging them and funding them? What are we doing? In fact, the, the American culture in Christianity is, we want to enjoy grace. We want to enjoy grace. We want to enjoy grace. We want to consume, 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 and that's it. And, and that bothers me. That deeply troubles me because I think it's ironic. What they're willing to do for a lie, we are not willing to do for a truth. God has given us to enjoy grace so that we might spread his glory. So I want to show you a picture of this. This is a picture of a church in Oakland, one of the oldest churches in Oakland in the 1990s. You look at their faces, could you see that they're young and their whole lives ahead of them and they were faithful and they gave their lives to the mission of God and they're standing in front of their church and they put their stakes down and I have a question to ask you. What is the one thing that every single one of those people have in common? What's one thing? And the answer is, they're all dead. They're not here. You know what they're part of now? They're part of a great cloud of witnesses that the book of Hebrews talks about that are watching us today. And I bet if they could say anything to us right now, they would say, that was our time. That was our time pressing in. That was our time to enjoy grace and spread the glorious glory of God. And they would say to us, now this is your time. This is your season. This is your hour. And you're not going to get another. One day you too will be a great cloud of witnesses for God's glory. But for now, you and I must press in onto the mission. We've done it in the past generation. Now, this is our generation. And we're not going to get any other time than this. Will you be faithful to the calling of Jesus? They would say, it is worth it. It is worth it. And this is why we're planting a church in Oakland. And this is why we're reaching the 1% in the Bay Area. And this is why we're planting churches all around and supporting churches that plant churches that's why we're starting campuses. We're reaching into different cities. 
Because newer churches and newer campuses tend to reach more effectively newer people for the gospel than older established churches. And this is why it's so important that we birth you, Oakland. And we're thinking of you, we're praying for you, we're dreaming for you of how you will effectively reach the city of Oakland, and they need help. And this is why we're calling every single resonator to pray. We're asking you to pray and say, will you consider just praying for them every single day? Will you pray that God would encourage them and uphold them as they go into the city with the gospel? As they've enjoyed grace, they want to spread that glory. And as they do that, will you consider maybe even the next step of contributing by going? Maybe you live near Oakland. Maybe you live north of here and you're like, Man, I've never been a part of anything new like this before. You know, Resonate constantly talks about the days when we first started. I've never been, a, been able to play that part. I've always wondered what would it be just to start something new. And this is an opportunity. And maybe you'll go as a short-time person, maybe short-term missionary. Maybe you'll go there for three months and six months for, for a year or so just so that that church could be established in that city. Or maybe like several of you who've already decided to go, maybe through prayer, God is calling you to join this effort, this, this missional opportunity that is there for already the people that are gathering here right now as you are hearing my voice. I know you're pressing in and I just wanna to continue to say, help is coming. We're with you, we're for you, and we wanna see along with you the flourishing of Oakland for the glory of God in that beautiful city. And so could I just draw you to prayer? Would you pray with me? Just bow with me in all of our campuses, online, Hayward, Oakland, just close your eyes and just consider this. Maybe you have not been satisfied with life. Maybe perhaps you haven't been living according to your design. And I want to remind us that You've been called to savor God so that you could spread his glory. And I want to give you an opportunity just to come before the Lord to say, Lord, will you stir something up in me that the Holy Spirit that is already in me, the Holy Spirit that loves Jesus, the Holy Spirit that longs to see Jesus known in all the earth, will you stir that in me right now will you do that spirit work so that I, I might be awakened and excited into the purpose of why you've created me oh to enjoy your lavish grace but also to spread your glory father awaken your people Awaken us to not just consume your grace, but to be catalyzed by it. That we will find ourselves so unworthy of your affection and your love and your kindness in sending your son, Jesus, that there will be nothing more that we want to talk about and share with others than this goodness of Jesus to the rest of the world who has no ears to hear this good news. Will you open up our hearts and open up their ears 
then many people in Oakland and Hayward and Fremont and all the Bay Area will come to know so that one day we will see 1%, like 80,000 people come saved, be saved for your glory alone. It's impossible without your help. It's impossible without your doing. So we trust that you want to do the work to exalt yourself. All you need is our yes. So Father, I pray that you would speak to us right now even, that you would give us the courage to offer our yeses to you and that you will do the work and we trust you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your loving mercy. We pray in the matchless name of our Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. Let's give him praise and glory. Amen.